Al Jazeera podcast. Is Ecuador succumbing to gang violence and organized crime? The assassination of a presidential candidate has shocked the Latin American country. The government blames drug cartels for the increase in violence, but what's being done to stop it? Hello, I'm Adrian Finnegan. This is the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help to define major global stories. All right, let's bring in our guests. From Quito, we're joined by Manuela Peak, a professor of international relations at Universidad San Francisco de Quito in Ecuador. Uh, from London, Javier Farhe, a journalist and Latin American affairs analyst. And from Vancouver, we're joined by Grace Jaramillo, a professor at the School of Public Policy and Global Affairs at the University of British Columbia and a friend of the late uh, Via Vicencio. Welcome to you all. Thanks for being with us on Inside Story. Grace, uh, let's start with you. Uh, for decades, Ecuador was one of Latin America's least violent countries. Now it has a homicide rate higher than that of Mexico. What's gone wrong? Is it down to bad luck and geography or bad policy? I think it's uh, really uh, bold, I, I, but uh, I will rather say the latter. Um, we are witnessing an extremely weak state incapable of even controlling the means of violence. It has been going on for a decade at the very least, but uh, since the last five years, I would say that the drug lords have better equipment and control of territory, especially in some provinces that uh, are key to drug trafficking, than the, the police system. And uh, only unity, I think, and a national consensus of the polity could transform this dramatic situation. Not surprisingly, corruption is rampant. And um, at some moments, for example, uh, uh, the threats of violence are immediately part of any equation when it comes to whistleblowers that try to face and uh, or, or, or at least announce um, corruption. The most visible phase was uh, Fernando Villavicencio in the last years. But uh, he is not the only one, and it's a country, as you say, that uh, with a, an incapable state, a weak state in the last decade or so, um, it will be going on unless there's a, a huge restructuring and unless we are talking seriously about the, the drug war that is going throughout the continent. Javier, how much of what's happening right now in Ecuador can be traced back to the decisions of former President Rafael Carrera? I mean, ending cooperation with the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency, for example, closing the U.S. military base. Uh, uh, what about Korea's successes? Why, why haven't they got a grip on the security situation in the country? Well, basically, uh, drug cartels in Ecuador have been operating since the late 1990s. In fact, the one that Mr. Uh, Villavicencio denounced, Los Choneros, was a cartel which works with the Sinaloa cartel in Mexico. So they've been active even under Mr. Correa's presidency. And there's other cartels like Los Lobos that work with another drug cartel in Mexico. So these cartels, these drug gangs have been working with the Mexican cartel for many years. And that made it very difficult for uh, the government to fight. Now, we don't know whether Mr. Correa's decision to stop Co cooperating with the Americans uh, made it easier. What it is clear is that these cartels in, in uh, these drug cartels in um, Ecuador are well established, well armed, and well supported by the Mexican bosses, if you like. 
So in that respect, it's difficult to pinpoint at which point uh, this lack of cooperation between the US and, and Ecuador uh, is responsible for what happened. But the, part, the fact of the matter is that you have the same kind of cooperation in other countries in Latin America, and yet the drug cartels still operate because they have a lot of networks and a lot of contacts, and there's a lot of corruption among the political uh, class. So in that respect, um, I think Assuming, obviously, that this cartel is responsible for the murder of President of Mr. Villavicencio, we, we don't know yet. We, what, what this seems to be clear is that it was a criminal murder, a criminal assassination. Uh, we don't know yet exactly who exactly is. I mean, in the Los Lobos, one of the biggest cartels in in in, in Ecuador, claimed responsibility. Other groups said, no, we haven't done it. We don't know yet. Uh, the defense minister, uh, the Ecuadorian defense minister, said very clearly that what's happening in Ecuador is that they are at war with the government, the cartels, the, the, the crime, criminal gangs, and that war has to be won. So okay. we don't know yet exactly which cartel is responsible, but the organized crime is definitely uh, behind this assassination. Okay, before we, we, we get into exactly what's going on right now and the, and the presidential election, Manuela, I'm, I'm still I'm, I'm keen just to examine the, the roots of, of, of this crisis. To what extent uh, is... Uh, this violent crime surge in Ecuador uh, linked to the end of the FARC insurgency in neighboring Colombia in 2016. It's definitely connected to the the peace agreement, right? That spilled over from Colombia into Ecuador, but this has a much deeper root. In 2003, the cartels from Mexico have a summit in Sinaloa and decide to use Ecuador as a base for their operations, right? So Ecuador has become the main basis in Latin America for the export of cocaine to the US and Europe. So it's just as uh, Grace Jaramillo just said, it's an evolution that exploded the last few years because of the role of the state, not spending the public expenditure in the Ministry of the Interior. The reality is that today we have 40 murders a day in Ecuador. The beginning of 2023, it's 40 murders a day in a country of 18 million people. And everybody's responsible. The cartels from Mexico to Latin America, um, the government from Correa to Lasso, current contemporary government, and the family of Villavicencio has defined the murder as a crime of state. So it's a little too simplistic to just blame it on the cartels. Okay. Uh, Grace, would it be fair to describe Ecuador as a, as a narco state right now? Um, is it on the way to becoming a failed state? I hope not. Um, but uh, following up on, on what uh, Manuela also said, uh, the problem is that nobody is doing anything to restructuring the whole situation. And just if I may, uh, I mean, if, if you take out the democratic controls of the security forces, the intelligence especially. I mean, we, we have um, went through a, a position where all the intelligence um, uh, apparatus, whether the military or the police, were geared towards and had a priority of uh, put the, uh, the narcos or the drug cartels at bay since 1990s, really. But um, what the Korea administration has been to blame for is to move, to gear that, I mean, to move that um, security apparatus into political uh, um, uh, prosecution or, or, or uh, hit jobs. So that is what changed dramatically in the state at the beginning. We can trace back to that. 
but we have to move from that conversation and that situation into democratic control of the security apparatus. I would say that is the beginning of the restructuring of the police and military forces because they are clearly inf infiltrated. And I think the other aspect of, of the issue is independence of the judiciary. Otherwise, there's impunity throughout. And um, there's no way going out uh, if there is no uh, at least a basic guarantee that you have uh, you will have elections free from fear of violence. So that is the beginning of probably a process of restructuring and starting yet again um, to see a different conversation in the upcoming years or uh, starting from now, I would say, in the upcoming election. Javier, how far... Uh does the reach of the criminal gangs spread in, in Ecuador? I mean, how corrupt are Ecuador's institutions, its politics? Is the army implicated in, in any of this? A cartel cannot operate freely without corruption at high levels, at high political levels, and police. You cannot operate if there's corruption, if there's no corruption there. Corruption is uh, feeds, uh, you know, it's one of the elements in, with the cartels used to be able to uh, operate freely and with impunity. Uh, these people have a lot of money. They bribe, uh, you know, politicians, they bribe the police, etc. But also we mustn't forget this. Uh, just on the 9th of August, the day before he was assassinated, Mr. Villavicencio said, and I quote, police know where the, the, the criminals, drug dealers, illegal miners and white-collar criminals leave and hide, which means that he pinpoint, pinpointed the police forces as partly responsible for the situation because they were not doing enough, in some cases because of incompetence, in some cases because of corruption. So it is perfectly possible, at least at the police level, I don't know whether the army, but at least the police level, that there's levels of corruption which allow these cartels to operate with such impunity. And Mr. Villavicencio had already pinpointed this particular issue in relation to the security forces. In fact, we are talking about a quote, direct quote from an interview he gave on the 9th of August. So obviously there's, there's, there is a connection between the way the cartels operate, but also uh, how corruption feeds and helps these cartels to uh, operate in by countries like Ecuador and other countries in, in the region. Manuela, do, do, before I ask you another question, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, the the scandals of narco generals have been has been widely covered in the Ecuadorian media, in the U.S. media, international media. It's very clear that Villavicencio denounced the day before his death a corruption scandal with oil fields that was connected to three former governments from Correa, Moreno, and the current government of Lasso. So the fact that his family denounces a crime of state indicates the relations and the collaboration between cartels and government officials. Okay. Um, Manuela, will this forthcoming election solve any of Ecuador's problems with violent crime? I mean, who are the frontrunners? What are they saying about what they do about the situation? Um, it's good to keep in mind that in February we had municipal elections that were the most violent elections in the history of Ecuador, and now the current elections have surpassed the level of violence. We have over 60 politicians at suffering violent attacks over the last year. We already, Villa Vicencio was the last one, but we had before him, 10 days before, uh, um, 
the alcalde from Mata who was assassinated, right? The local official. We had two candidates for office, for legislative office, who were assassinated this last month. There are many politicians and elected officials being assassinated over the last few weeks. Um, now we have an empty seat at the elections coming up. Uh, the proposals are limited in the sense that we all the candidates are proposing more police presence, um, more control of the jails from where the cartels operate. Uh, but the depth, the root of the matter is really the corruption that is institutionalized within the state. And I go back to what Grace just mentioned a few minutes ago. The Korea government uh, worked with cartels, institutionalized cartels and institutionalized some rules that allow cartels to operate freely in the country. And if, if um, legal officials do not do it out of their own will, they do it out of menace, of threats, and there are very few tools available to change the structures of power. And that's where the problem really lies that allows the cartels and the violence to continue to operate. Grace, what are the implications of Via Vicencio's murder for this election? Uh, will the contest now become more polarised as a result of, of, of his death? Would Via Vicencio have made it through to the second round? We don't know. I mean, um, three uh, candidates were, were actually fighting for the second place. Um, uh, Otto Sonnenholzner, Jakub Perez and uh, Fernando Villavicencio. And uh, we didn't know, we don't know still, because there's almost 60%, between 50 and 60%, depending on the polls you see, um, of uh, indecisiveness in the country. So it's a country that is deeply disenchanted with elections, with the democratic uh, transitions. And the frontrunner is Luisa Gonzalez, um, who, who is in the party of Rafael Correa. So... I, I, I really think that uh, Fernando Villavicencio's death is a game changer because it will force, and in fact, uh, Manuela can tell you more about that, there's a call for unity, at least amongst uh, candidates that are running for the, I would say, the centrist democratic ticket, where um, the, the agenda of the day at least is, is, is fully... Um, uh, uh, upheld the, the democratic principles of uh, free uh, elections, uh, political participation, social participation, and so on. So I would say the three that I mentioned before, Otto, Jacob Perez, and Villavicencio were the ones uh, really uh, rallying for this agenda of uh, upholding the democratic principles, uh, probably democratic reform. And the way out, I would say, is, is a unity of that front whatever the differences, I mean, there's a huge difference between them in terms of agendas, um, political uh, uh, um, uh, support and so on. But it's still, we are um, in, in general is running against, Ecuador is running against these centrist uh, side from the center left to the center right, mm. uh, all the way towards something that is a, a more authoritarian agenda especially with uh, uh, Mrs. Luisa Gonzalez and also another candidate that plays or tries to be the new Bukele, the president of El Salvador mm. in Ecuador, who is Jan Topic. 
So that is the political situation, and I will. I really think that uh, the death of uh, Mr. Villavicencio is going to change a lot of things. Great, Grace. As we said at the beginning of the program, um, uh, Fernando uh, Villavicencio was a friend of yours. What was he like? He was obviously a very brave uh, man. Uh, if he'd been given the chance to, to run the country, how would how would he have sorted out uh, this mess? Would he would he have been would he have taken a hard line? Well, uh, we have been acquaintances since a long time, more than close friends. But I, 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 I knew, I know him. I knew him since I was 19 years of age, and he was still in university, in undergrad, in the same um, social communication undergrad. But he was always a debater. In fact, I debated him once for the student. I mean, I was running for the student body, and he was running for the student body as well. And um, he was always feisty. A good debater. Um, he will not lose an argument. Uh, he was always very stubborn about uh, fighting for issues, regardless of the issue. And uh, then I, I, I have seen him a lot throughout the, the years, especially because he was first uh, at the forefront of uh, confronting corruption in the state-owned enterprise uh, that runs the oil company in Ecuador, Petro Ecuador, at the beginning, SEPE. And then throughout the years, oh, uh, I, he will tap me to because I used to have a column in a daily newspaper, El Comercio. So he, he used to tap me and say, you know, this is scandal is huge. You should raise awareness about this. And then um, most importantly, during the Korea administration, when he was prosecuted for, for denouncing Korea for different cases of corruption, that, but most importantly, because of the incident of uh, September 30, 2010, when there was a military uprisal and um, Korea ordered his rescue from a hospital. And Grace, very quickly, would, would he have made a, a good president? I would say with unity, um, I don't I don't believe in caudillos, as in Latin or strong leaders. I will say take a village. Um, probably yes, with a lot of help from a coalition. Um, we don't know, but still if he will go into the second round. But uh, he definitely was a very good legislator in terms of confronting and the sources of corruption, even confronting um, legislators and National Assembly representatives who, who were part of this corruption network that is big in the country nowadays. OK. Javier, what happens um, if the country votes for a candidate who says, I know how to fix it, this is, it's, it's my way or the, or the highway, a, a hardliner? Are, are there dangers for the country in that? That's a very good question indeed. Uh, as our colleague mentioned, Jan Topic, he calls himself the Bukele of Ecuador. President Bukele, Nayib Bukele, is the president of El Salvador, who took a hard line on crime, and now he's been accused of violating human rights and attempts to stay in power longer than he should, changing the constitution and electoral laws. Mr. Topic, he's a multimillionaire uh, business person, has used that speech he said he admires. Now, so far, according to opinion polls that happened a few days ago, he only had 4% of the vote. But now the question is whether he would radicalize his speech even more after this assassination, and he goes to the second round, because nobody's going to win in the first round. Luisa Gonzalez from the Correa Party, the Citizens' Revolution, is ahead with only 26% of the vote. So the question is whether Mr. Topic will make it 
in the runoff of the election or the other candidate which have been mentioned, uh, Janu, Jakub Perez or Sonnenholzer, Otto Sonnenholzer, make it. Uh, the danger would be that if somebody who is uh, on the line of Mr. Bukele's policies uh, becomes elected, this could lead to serious authoritarian tendencies within Ecuador, which could be equally dangerous. Uh, but also, if this foreign cartel, the, the Sinaloa cartel, and the other cartels, Mexican cartels are working with cartels within Ecuador, these people are very powerful. They have a lot of firepower, so it could create a massive conflict. In El Salvador, there were local gangs, uh, the Maras. In Ecuador, we are talking about the powerful grand cartels from Mexico working with cartels within Ecuador. And that would be very difficult uh, to, to fight. So the danger is that obviously there will have to be a more hardline uh, approach towards the problem to prevent things like the assassination of Mr. Villavicencio from happening again. But at the same time, there is a danger this could lead to an authoritarian position like Mr. Bukele has adopted in El Salvador, which could be dangerous for the democratic process in, El Salvador, in Ecuador. So it remains to be seen whether uh, this is going to change as somebody mentioned, one of my colleague in Ecuador said, a game changer. It is indeed a game changer. It remains to be seen who's going to come second, because there's going to be a runoff, more than 50%, almost 60% of the of Ecuadorians don't know who they're going to vote for. It depends. Uh, it remains to be seen how these people who do not know what to do are going to vote uh, for a runoff, because there's not going to be a clear winner in the, in the first round on the 11th of August. Manuela, I, I see you not in agreement there. No, yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it and it raises many questions. The absence of the states, uh, the states, the Ministry of the Interior is only spending using executing eighty percent of the spending assigned to the Ministry of the Interior. So the absence of the state is perhaps intentional, allowing a lot of these gangs to operate. And the assassination of Villa Vicenzo is definitely a game changer. The question is who benefits from it, because it's the extreme left or so framed as left, right? The Correismo who is seen as benefiting from it, but perhaps because they're seen as benefiting from it, it's the other side who's actually benefiting from it, right? So Otto Sonnenheiser may recover a lot of the votes that were assigned, that were gonna go for Villa Vicencio. So it's not clear yet who will benefit from it. It is clear that uh, the population is very upset about this killing. It shows the level of um, vulnerability of Ecuadorians of violence and the permissibility of violence and the lack of action from the state. So people will vote in reaction to this killing and the other 4,000 killings from the beginning of the year. Uh, the question is who will inherit the votes from Villa Vicencio? Grace, is there any reason for, for, for optimism to, to the people of Ecuador? Have, have any reason to be optimistic about the future? Or is the country headed for further violence, a, a, a chaotic few years ahead, do you think? I don't think there are reasons for optimism, to be honest. And uh, unless and until uh, the democratic forces of the country get united uh, and really confront this uh, um, narrow and, and, and gray system of kickbacks and corruption within the system, because only a democratic uh, national unity that is, uh, whose priority is first and foremost to recover the state, to restore the state capacity, to control the means of force, 
nothing will happen because, it, as I said, it's not just a strong man uh, role to do such a thing. And uh, we are um, uh, witnessing an election that is only going to last for, I mean, whoever wins as president is going to last just for 18 months. So the agenda for change and reform is deep and needs a lot of political unity and needs the unity of social forces, the, the civil society organizations, organized and not organized, but also the different organizations that are running to, uh, to, to hold the, the highest offices in the state. So it's not an optimistic view, but there's a way out, but it, it, it will really take a lot of a struggle, a lot of suffering still before we come to see a light out of the tunnel. Okay. There, I'm afraid we must end it. Many thanks indeed for being with us. Manuela Peak, Javier Farhe, and uh, Grace Jaramillo. This episode was produced by Mohamed El Aichi, Katia Lopez Horayan, Nicholas Pierce, and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Renjith Kurian, and the program was edited by Mohamed Sopi, Khalid Sultan, and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. And thanks for listening. Tune in again on Monday for our next episode. This week on The Take, what's behind the growing play parody in the Women's World Cup? And does funding make a difference? That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.